Welcome to the Garage Podcast, presented to you by the Young Adults Group at Salem First Baptist Church. Thanks for tuning in to hear this week's message from Pastor Tyler Hankey. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Garage Podcast. This is our series called Listen Up, a prayer series where the goal is to build a practice of prayer that you're proud of because too many beautiful blessings of God come strictly through prayer. So if we don't learn this task, our intimacy with the Lord will be shallow and weak, and the blessings that we receive, I would argue, will be next to nothing because God says, I, I want to meet with you daily in prayer. So this is a, a task, a, a wonderful exercise that we get to participate in, and I want to build the most beautiful life of prayer in in your life so that you can have a wonderful life with the Lord. So we're in kind of a series within a series. Um, The whole series is about prayer, but we are doing a line-by-line reading of the Lord's Prayer to help you understand how to pray. Because I get that a lot from people. They're like, I want to pray. I know it's a good idea. I just don't know how to do it. And so the disciples were the exact same way, and they look at Jesus and they say, you pray beautifully like there's it's clear you're talking to someone we pray robotically we don't we want to pray like you and so jesus says great let me teach you how to pray and so i'm going to read you the whole prayer and then i'll tell you what line we're jumping into today jesus says this then is how you should pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So last week, we looked at our Father in heaven. And we discerned from that that our prayers need to begin relationally. Because if I believe that I'm praying to some unseen supernatural force that's not personal and doesn't care about me, I'm going to pray very differently than if I believe I'm praying to my dad. The dad that adopted me, chose me, cleaned me up, repaired the broken parts of me, and promises me life with him in heaven forever. I will pray very differently to that God. So Jesus says, pray like you're praying to your dad. And today, we got a weird word, churchy word, hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Now, don't be afraid of that word. Hallowed is just an old English word that means to make holy or make sacred. So, the prayer begins relationally, but the funny thing is, is I haven't really declared anything to God. I haven't made my intentions known. So if I begin, my Father in heaven, and then hallowed, but let's just translate this. What I'm saying is, to my dad in heaven, I want to honor you. So I can begin relationally, but if I want to start making my intentions known, I got to start saying, Lord, you're, you're, you're my Father, you're in heaven, and my intention is to worship you. Now you're like, Tyler, where'd you get worship from? It doesn't say worship. It just says hallowed. Hallowed, again, means to make sacred or make holy. And so if I'm going to bring sacredness to someone or something, if I'm going to bring honor to someone, that is worship. That's the definition of worship. So that's how I got there. God, you're in heaven. You you are my, my heavenly father, and my intention is to worship you. So the question automatically becomes, Why does Jesus want me to worship God in prayer? Why does he want this for me? Before we look at the command, let's let's ask, what makes God worthy of worship? Because 
I want to give my heart motivation to worship, not a command to worship. That doesn't work out. That would be like me looking at you and going, I, I command you to be in awe of the Grand Canyon. And you're like, uh, how about no, man? Like, that's weird. I, and I would never say, I command you to love your wife. Now, incidentally enough, God actually does command that, but that's a whole nother sermon. My, my point is, commanded worship is odd. And yet, when I understand more about God, worship can become natural. Much like, if I command you to be in awe of the Grand Canyon, that's odd. But if I drive you to the Grand Canyon and I plop you on the edge, I don't need to say a word. You look at that place and think, this is stunning. Everything about it is beautiful. Everything about it is magnificent. And I don't need to tell you a word. You just are in awe. So rather than just say, you have a command to worship or you should worship, I would like to invite you to worship by explaining more of who God is. And that will help us worship. And so as I started thinking about this and doing a bit of study, I've, I've kind of lumped this into three categories. These aren't like, it, it doesn't say in the Bible there are three, three uh, reasons that you should worship. It doesn't say that. These are things that I've gathered from my life and then from other great pastors and teachers. There's three categories. Now, there could be more. For all of you out there that are smarter than me, there's probably more. Here's three. Three reasons why we should worship God. It's his mercies, his pursuit of me, and his attributes. Mercies meaning the things that he gives me that I don't deserve. His pursuit of me meaning the way that he won my heart and his attributes, just the things about him that are incredible about him since he is a supreme being. So let's take these one at a time. And again, if I understand these, I'm going to automatically worship in my prayer. So here's the first one, his mercies. This is a moment for you to train your memory, to make it work for you, because it's natural to complain. It's natural to compare and it's natural to covet. It's why God needs to look at his people in the Ten Commandments and say, look, here, here's, here's a big one. Here's the Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet. I don't want you looking at other people's lives going, oh my gosh, look at all the great things they got and look at what I don't have. He goes, nope, that's not for you. So we know that that's natural human behavior to compare. It is not natural to be thankful. It's not natural to look at my life and go, wow, I actually do have a lot of really great things in my life. It's why God needed to command in various ways the idea of being thankful a hundred and fifty-seven times through the Old and New Testament, which <laughs> you don't need to be a Bible scholar to realize we must really suck at being thankful if God's got to command it a hundred and fifty-seven times. So I want to I read to you three passages of Scripture, and this frames the kind of life that God wants us to have. So and just things that he says, here's what I'm doing already that I want you to notice. Lamentations 3.22 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He's, he's never done being present and loving. And it says his mercies are new every morning, meaning the undeserved things I get are new every day. Now, we're going to go back and look at this more, but here's the second one. Psalm 118.24, this is the day 
that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That, that is a statement that can be said every morning. So this day, the one I'm living, is a day that God made. I didn't make it. God raised the sun. He circled the globe. He, he, he brought the moon around in orbit. Like the sun's still there. Like everything that we take for granted, God's like, yeah, I did it again. And this is a day I made, so we're going to rejoice in it. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, rejoice always. Again, there's the command. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. So as I take those three, and again, there's 157 other ones that I could be looking at. Here's the theme that I get. I, as a human being, have a tendency to make common what is actually rare. I have this amazing ability to take all the gifts of God and get so used to them that I'm like, ah, yeah, this is normal. Like, it's normal to have a personal vehicle, right? No, it is not. Or it's normal to have easy access to food. No, it's not. It is normal to wake up in a world not at war, which we would say in first world America, which isn't true almost anywhere else in the world. And so we start looking at our lives and without thanking God, we're like, like it's normal that I should be receiving all these things. And it's like, no, it's not. God gifts you things every day. And so the task for the believer is to look at God's mercies, look at our lives and start categorizing and go, hold on, that's not normal. That's not normal at all. When, when I look at the world, it needs to remind me that God has actually gifted me in some beautiful ways. I've got a good friend. Um, he and I have worked out together for years. And he's got, uh, he, he met a woman a number of months ago. She's a refugee from Russia. And he was talking to her. He goes, you know, what, what's life like now in America? What, what have you noticed that's new and weird and different? And she goes, I'll, let me tell you a story. She goes, the thing that most blew me away is when I walked into Safeway. She goes, I walked into Safeway and I dropped to my knees and I started weeping. And he goes, what, what about the grocery store made you cry? She goes, she goes, in Russia, my job as a wife was to go around from city to city, from store to store, and find something, like anything, for my family to eat. She goes, I would go into a store in one city and go, please, God, have some bread. Like not my favorite bread, like we would do. Like we go into a grocery store and we get mad when the, like our favorite type of bread isn't there. She would go in and go, please, God, let there be bread at all. And then she would need to leave because that store wouldn't have anything else. She'd go to another one and go, man, I hope that there's some milk. Please let there be some milk. So we, we wake up and the thought of hunger never crosses our mind. What we need to do is go, Lord, thank you so much that, I gr that I'm growing up in a part of the world where I wake up and boom, there's food. Like none of us are worried about that. And if you are, <laughs> you're not working hard enough. My goodness. We never think to ourselves when we walk into the grocery store, man, I hope there's food. The only thing we're doing is going, man, I hope I find something I really enjoy. I, uh, another story, I had a, 
my my father met with a pastor um, from a, a missions conference, and he was deeply upset, unbelievably upset. And they were him and my my father and a number of other pastors were trying to figure out like why are you so angry when they finally got him to calm down he was able to articulate he goes it's hard for me to verbally and emotionally process the fact that i just came from ukraine and i come here and and the pastors are talking about different needs that they have and certain financial stresses and it's not that nothing in america matters it, that, that that's not what i'm saying but this guy goes, do you want to know what I was doing in Ukraine two weeks ago? He goes, I was sifting through the rubble of my church, looking for my congregants' body parts. Like, that's what he was doing. And so it's like, did we, did we wake up on Sunday and just go, praise God that I get to get in my car, again, my personal vehicle, when there's places around the world where there's a village vehicle, and we, we all got, some of us have multiple cars to our name. That, that, should, that should wow us to a level that we can't even comprehend. And then we got in our car and we drove to our favorite coffee shop. We got some, some coffee on the way to church. N never did we think, man, I should, I should take a random right into this neighborhood to fool the cops that are following me to find out where my church is. Never did we once think, man, I really hope that my church building is still there. And so this, this Ukrainian pastor or, or missionary to, to Ukraine was like, I don't know how to settle in my brain the fact that my congregants are blown to pieces, but I'm sitting back here in America safe. Like he could not sit still. He's like, put me on a plane and get me back to my people. We don't think that way. But if we start training our minds to renew, renew the idea of new mercies, we as believers must make rare what we have made common. And when we do that, we'll worship. I must make rare what I in my mind have made common. Let's repent for the way that we've gotten so comfortable that we get angry when our faucets take a while to get hot. Like we'll turn the water on it and we get frustrated because we're like, oh, it's taking so long for the water to get warmer. Like we take showers and we would be livid. We would, I know, and I'm not, I'm not dogging on my audience, I'm not. But we would get angry if our showers were always cold. We wouldn't be like, man, I'm thankful for running water at all. We wouldn't do it. I know we wouldn't. But if we learn to make rare what we have made common, we'll worship. Because God's mercies are new every morning. Undeserved gifts. And really, he's given us quite a beautiful life. So when we look at that, we'll go, wow, thank you, God. Thank you that my car works at all. Thank you that I've got running water. Thank you that for a very small amount of money, I can buy a large amount of food. And not just some food, like the choicest of foods. Thank you. What's the second thing that should motivate us to worship? It's God's pursuing love of us. Like when you look at adoption, like adoptive kids are always so thankful. It's like, oh my gosh, I was chosen. I was chosen by a family. We should have the same idea when we think about God. Like, holy cow, God loves me. Like I'm not a good person. And some of you are like, actually, I, I am a good person. No, you're not. 
And here's how I know, and I'm not insulting you. Romans 5.10, while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled. While we were enemies, guys, we were reconciled to God when we were spitting in his face. Like imagine if you went to an orphanage and you scanned all the kids and there was a kid that came up to you and was like, you two, like you and your spouse, just looked at you and goes, you two are the ugliest human beings I've ever seen. Like, look at you pulling up in your nice car. Like, ooh, I got money. Like, if this kid just sat and insulted you, and then, of all things, like, guys, imagine if this happened to you. He goes up and he slaps your wife. Just hits her. And then imagine after all of that, you and your spouse look at him and go, yep, I want that kid. Like, would we do that? I don't know that we would. And I know I wouldn't. But God goes, that's exactly what I did. You spit in my face. You wanted nothing to do with me. You only wanted your own way and you were stuck in your sin and I still wanted you. And I still died for you. We were cruel. We were arrogant. And we were disinterested. And God's like, yeah, you. So I need you to think for a second, again, just to motivate the prayer life for you, your own prayer life. What did God need to do to win you? This, this story, the story of your own salvation, should regularly play in your mind. Like for me, here's what God had to do. He had to take an unbelievably broken family. My grandfather left my dad when he was two years old. So God, God had to take this angry little boy, which is my father. And he'll admit this. He's said his story many times. My father was violent regularly fought with people, got in trouble all the time, wanted nothing to do with authority. And God was like, I'm going to take that guy and I'm going to redeem his life. And he did it through a wrestling coach. And so he got my father involved in wrestling where he learned to control his body. He learned to control his strength. He learned to submit to authority. God brought multiple other great men into my father's life and he redeemed him. And then he gave my father an unbelievable mind for scripture, which was the one thing. So my dad wanted to be a teacher and he was teaching kids. He actually got his certification from Oregon State and was teaching kids. All the while he was leading ministry. And this is what I love. Everyone was looking at Mark and, and looking at my dad. They're going, Mark, come on, man. Like, I know that you're a teacher, but you're kind of amazing at preaching scripture. Like you need to be a pastor. And so then God got my dad into Denver Seminary. He, he had introduced him to my, my mom. They got married. Got, they got into seminary over in Denver, Colorado, and they started leading a church. And I grew up in an environment of blessing. So when I think about my life, and I think about all the kids that grew up either one without dads, or grew up with violent dads, or grew up with abusive dads, or grew up with absent dads, whatever it was, I'm like, my dad was redeemed from the pit of anger and despair and trained up in the way of Jesus, and now he's training me. So what did God do in your life to redeem you? What did he do in your parents? What teacher did he introduce to you? What church did he bring you to? What mountain did God move to bring you to himself? And in that moment, worship. In that moment, like, thank you, God. I don't deserve this. 
We need to regularly celebrate what we escape. Like, think, think about Passover with me. Think about communion. When you think about your adoption process, communion was tied to the Passover because God said, I'm going to kill the firstborn of everyone in Egypt. So if you want me to pass over your home, put the blood of a sheep or goat on your doorpost and I'll pass over. And then in communion, the story's linked to that. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians that Jesus was our Passover. He's our Passover lamb. So when I think about what God did, like every time I take communion, I'm like, wow, I should be the dead one. My sins brought death to me and then Jesus took it. He's like, no, no, I'll, I'll die for you. I'll take that death. I'll take that punishment. Now come live life with me. God's pursuit of you should so wow you that it causes you to worship. When you think about that, you'll just pray naturally, thank you, Lord, for saving me of all people. I don't deserve it. And here's the third and final one, his attributes. It's not, so on, on this one, it's not just what you've received. So I want you to think about what you've received and what you have in this life. But then I want you to follow that to who the person is that gifted it to you. Like think about when you receive an awesome gift from someone and then you think like, wow, someone knew me enough to get me this awesome gift. So someone was thinking of me. C.S. Lewis, he puts it this way. One's mind must run back up the sunbeam to the sun. So when you think about what you've received, like think about forgiveness. What kind of being forgives? Well, Psalm 103.8 says that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving devotion. So when I think about this, the forgiveness that I've received, what kind of being would forgive me? A gracious one, a compassionate one. One who's slow to anger because Lord knows we all deserve a supernatural beating from the Lord. But he's like, nah, I'm going to be patient. Okay, what, what about 2 Peter 3, 9 that says he's long-suffering? He's like, I will endure you for a long time. We can follow the sunbeam of a flower. Like, think about this. Anything you look at in life, I want you to follow that as a sunbeam up to the sun. Like, think about flowers. I do this all the time. God's not boring, guys. He didn't create one type of flower. Like, we don't look out and see only red flowers. We see orange ones and blue ones and purple ones and yellow ones, green ones. Like, we see every conceivable color in flowers. What kind of being would do that? One that loves beauty. One that's unbelievably creative. See, I, I look at the world, and, and Jesus did this in the Sermon on the Mount. He draws everyone's attention to the fields, and he looks at the flowers, and he goes, now think about the God that would do that. If flowers are taken care of, if trees are taken care of, if animals are taken care of, how much more valuable are you than sparrows, than flowers? So much more. So much more. Jesus was doing the same thing. Look at the item, look at the person, look at the situation and see them as a sunbeam and follow it up to the sun. What has God done? Who is he that he would do these things and let it cause you to worship? So here's our final question. What happens when I do this? 
Like why, why worship? I've given you motivations to worship. Okay. It's praising God for his mercies. It's his pursuit of us. It's his attributes that I see in all that he's given me and all that he's made around me. But what happens when I actually decide to worship? It reorients your mind. Right after the intro, right after God says, like, I'm your father, and then, and then Jesus says, worship me, the, the first action we participate in is submitting to the idea of his greatness. That's the first thing we do in prayer. You are our father in heaven. We want to worship you. This, what this does, proper worship kills pride. If you want to know why this is here, it's to keep you safe. Because guys, what was the sin the great sin of Satan. It was thinking too highly of himself. Satan wanted to be worshipped, Scripture says. Satan wanted the adoration and the praise. He didn't want to share it with God. He didn't want to give it to God. He wanted to receive it. His great sin was pride. And so when we pray, God says, I want to protect you from that same great danger. I want you to pray, but in prayer, I want you to worship. I want you to remind yourself of who I am and let that draw you to worship because when you do, that kills pride. I, you and I need to learn to order our loves. Um, this is from Tim Keller. He says, our anger, anxiety, and discouragement result from disordered loves. For example, when I love my wife over myself, I hurt her. Never physically, my goodness. If I ever do that, I give permission to everyone listening to come beat me. But when I, when I love her, when I position myself over her, when I try to meet my needs instead of hers, I wound her. I, I dismiss her. When I love myself, when I love money over the sacrificial love of other people, people get hurt. People get trampled. When I love success over sacrifice, people get overlooked. When I love comfort over security, there's no risk taking in my life. There's no sacrifice. There's no love. There's no pursuit of other people because I'm so afraid to get hurt. I'm like, no, nah, I'm just going to take care of myself. When I worship, I rightly order my loves. God is first. And he told me, as he tells all married men, your wife is is to be positioned over you in value, meaning you are to esteem her. Yes, you are over her in a leadership position, but I am not over my wife in value. I am to pursue her needs above my own. That is loving sacrifice. That's leadership. It's the same when we lead anything. God says, if you want to lead something, if you want to lead the church, if you want to lead a Bible study, if you want to lead your friends, if you want to lead a business, he goes, congratulations, you now serve that organization. You serve. You are second. They are first. That's love. Jesus said, I'm going to pursue you to the point where I die. Your needs above mine. So if our king did that, we need to position ourselves that way in prayer. Why do why worship? Because I rightly order my mind and my heart. When I worship in prayer, it honors the Lord and it keeps me safe and positions me rightly before God and man. So why hallowed be your name? 
because I've got to worship. I have to worship God to rightly order my mind, and then the rest of the prayer falls into place. Tune in again next week to learn about God's kingdom. But for now, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for another opportunity to learn how to pray. I pray for everyone that's learning this for the first time that you would really gift them with a lot of beautiful moments to practice. Help them think about their life. Help them think about, you know, how beautiful it is to go to a grocery store and see food all over the place. Help them think about their families, however dysfunctional. Help them think about their parents and how they can praise God for what they do have and not get angry for what they don't have. Help us to be the kind of people that pray regularly, but also are thankful regularly. Thank you for the call to worship. I pray that we would build into our lives so much motivation to worship that it just becomes natural, as easy as breathing. Thank you again for today, for the technology to communicate with people around the country and around the world. Um, And I pray that you would bless everybody listening as they commit to pray with you. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Garage Podcast. We hope the message has made you think deeper about faith and will strike up new conversations as you go about your week. If you want to hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a great week.